welcome to a new edition of the Canadian Crew Podcast. I'm Jorge Castillo. A superb animated drama that proves that you don't need piles of money or Pixar-like precision to trigger an emotional response, Window Horses, the poetic Persian epiphany of Rosie Ming, is my favorite Canadian film from last year. The aforementioned Rosie, voiced by Sandra Oh, is a young writer with little life experience who gets the surprise of a lifetime when she's invited to a poetry festival in Iran. It's not entirely out of the blue. Rosie is of Persian and Chinese descent and is curious about her absent father's land. The culture shock is considerable, but more so the discovery of how little she knows about her craft. An already captivating plot is further improved by incorporating traditionally Iranian poetry and dollops of history. The film's look is deceptively simple and enables the participation of guest animators for the most lyrical sequences. There isn't one weak leak in this chain. Sandra O's voice acting is on point, Don McKellar as a conceited German poet is a hoot, and the narrative builds up to a powerful climax. The Canadian crew talk to the director of Window Horses, Anne-Marie Fleming, who discusses the story's long road to the big screen and how Sandra O was crucial for the movie to materialize. Enjoy. Well, Anne-Marie Fleming, thank you for talking to the Canadian crew. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, first of all, I would, like to, I would like to ask you to introduce the film for our listeners. Uh, Window Horses, the poetic Persian epiphany of Rosie Ming, is a feature-length animated film. And the story of it is a young, half-Iranian, half-Chinese, Canadian woman who lives in North Vancouver with her overprotective grandparents and is a bit of a closet poet, is invited to a poetry festival in Iran where she finds out all these many truths about the father who she thought abandoned her when she was a small child. Now, this storyline um, is really a delivery system for me to talk about uh, many things, um, including how we can heal uh, generational and cultural divides through art and through poetry in particular. Now, it's a complicated film, not, not in terms of this, I mean the, the story is uh, straightforward, very compelling but straightforward, but however the number of other elements that you incorporate to the film like animation styles, um, poetry, that makes it a, 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 a film with many angles. How did it come all together? Because it's a considerable number of factors that you're juggling here. Mm -hmm. Well, um, this story, the idea of the story started 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, you said I could go deep and long, so Absolutely. here we go. go for it. Okay, so, you know, I'm mixed race, right? Uh, my mother's from Hong Kong, my father's Australian, um, lots and lots of different nationalities in there. I was born in Japan. We came to Canada when I was quite young. So um, I'm an immigrant, my family are immigrants, obviously. Um, I don't particularly look like one thing or another, or sound like one thing or another. So um, you really have to ask me what my story is. Mm -hmm. And because of the people I grew up with, with my family, I'm very interested in other people's stories and these histories and um, where people come from. Uh, when I was in Germany, well, I used to live in Toronto, I was here at the Film Centre, and after that, I was invited to an artist residency in Germany. And uh, interesting because apparently Ontario and Baden-Württemberg, which is the province that mm -hmm. Stuttgart is in, um, they're like sister provinces. Oh. Weird, right? Weird connection. But this is what it's all about, just weird connections. 
So I went there and I was surrounded by all these writers and poets from all over the world, including, um, you know, an exiled Chinese poet who, you know, it, I base a character on him in Window Horses. Uh, and I was listening to all these stories of these different diasporas. And at that time, it was all about mainly what had happened before, during, and after the Second World War, right? And especially in the context of being in Germany. So here I was in this other place, um, learning from so many different points of view, something that I only knew from my own. And uh, it's when I really realized that I was Canadian also, right? Like I'd always felt myself as an outsider, but I, when I was putting my point of view against everybody else's, I went, wow, I'm not just Canadian, I'm like from Vancouver, particularly. That's what has influenced me the most. And um, I wanted to tell this story of, um, of these generations that were trying to come to terms with um, histories that were never talked about, right? I was introduced to the music of, well music, I, I mistake this word all the time, poetry, but it really is like music. Mm -hmm. The poetry of Rumi, um, which I had picked up in Toronto actually, uh, Coleman Barks' Essential Rumi. And I was reading this every day. And uh, many years later, I mean the film didn't get made then obviously, mm -hmm. it was a film that took place in Germany, uh, because that's where I was. Many years later, I'm back living in Vancouver, there's a huge Iranian diaspora there. But my films, uh, if you know any of my other ones, you know it's about family, but about friends, it's about people I care about. And I was involved in, um, uh, I was involved in a relationship with, um, with Persians, right? And I wanted, uh, I wanted to tell this story and set it in Iran at a poetry festival because I saw, A, how ignorant I was about this, this whole culture, and also how similar the stories I was hearing were to all the other stories. Mm -hmm. And um, I wanted to make it more contemporary. I made the Islamic Revolution, the sort of, um, the event, right, that, uh, or the, the, the event that changed everybody's lives. Right. And um, I, it was going to be a live action film originally, and it was going to be a father-son relationship originally. And when I decided to make it in Iran, which seemed like so off base, everybody was going like, why Iran, right? What is your connection to Iran? And, and uh, like I think maybe a lot of writers might say, I can't tell you precisely why. It just needed to be Iran. And um, uh, I made it animated so that it would be possible. Mm -hmm. And I put my avatar in it, I put Stick Girl in it as the main character. And I made her half Persian. So in some ways, it was like embedding myself in the story, so that I was completely implicated in the story. And, um, and uh, yeah, there you go. That's, that's fascinating. And I, I totally get the, um, the issue of Iran, because in, this always uh, annoys me. It's the fact that people speak of Iran as one thing, mm -hmm. but if you bother to watch a movie like Kerostami or Farhadi or mm -hmm. you know, I realize that Iran is this entirely different country than how people who are not exposed to Iranian culture imagine it is. Yeah, well interesting too, I mean I would hardly call myself an expert mm -hmm. on Iranian cinema but the two filmmakers that you mentioned, the you know the the films that I have seen of theirs, they, they also, they're very poetic, they're very beautiful. 
uh, and they speak to, well, I mean, Kuristami, I would say it's maybe more universal and Farahi very much, you know, the quotidian of life in Iran today. But, um, you know, often it's, it's, they're talking about hard subjects, right? And so there's, a, there's this heaviness to it. I mean, it's, it's obviously showing a, a multi-layered, complex society. Um, I think Window Horses goes, I mean, it's observational. It's definitely an, an outsider view, even though you're, you have these very kind guides that are Iranian in the film. But uh, I, I wanted to talk about, um, uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to present a gentleness, you know, and, uh, and steer away from, um, from anything that could be considered political. When you hear the word political today, it always means something negative, right? Like I do think we're political people in the world in that, you know, from the root of that world, like a word like polis, right? We're citizens of the world. And everything we do is political when it concerns other people, right? right? And so that is how my film is political. Okay. Yeah. Um, was it a hard, I excuse the precise term, but was it a hard sell to get to the producers to enjoy the film? It was impossible, right? At the beginning, well, not impossible, obviously. Um, I started with a development, um, I got some development financing from Telefilm back in, I applied in 2007, I wrote this in 2008. I had some executive producers on board trying to put this forward. Um, in 2009, there were the elections in Iran and the violence after the elections and what happened. Canada cut off all diplomatic relations with that country. Um, I was encouraged to change the setting, you know. Uh, why didn't I make it China? China and its, you know, uh, poetic roots, it, you know, and my own roots to that country. and. I tried for a year to rewrite it to be in China and uh, I kept on getting drawn back to Iran and how Rosie had to be half Iranian and um, uh, wasn't a good time to get the film made. I tried, I made a storyboard and an animatic, you know, for animation, it's like, uh, do you know what an animatic is? Yeah. Right, so, um, so like, yeah, the whole film, but just told in still pictures. Um, I turned it into a graphic novel, thinking that maybe I could get a graphic novel published I, um, and get interest that way. I wasn't successful there, but I, I um, you know, in, in 2014, I felt this is the worst time. Like 2014 <laughs> felt like the worst time for how we were in the world, how we were seeing Iran. I mean, so much has changed, right, since 2014 to now. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Which is part of the point of the film, that we all live in these cycles constantly. And um, I decided that I wanted to do crowdfunding. I was applying for telephone money again. Um, uh, and I thought, even though I've been working with Stick Girl for almost 30 years, right? I mean, nobody really knows her. Um, so I needed a voice, I needed a megaphone for my message, which is about tolerance and diversity and peace through art, right? And so I emailed Sandra O. Oh, who I've known for about 20 years. It's interesting, we were supposed to do a project together, it fell through. She went to the States and became a household name. I went to Germany and sat in this castle and wrote what would become Window Horses. 
I had no idea that she just got off Grey's Anatomy. I had no idea she had time. I just asked for two hours. I said, please, you give me two hours of your time to do this voice. And um, she said, oh, yeah, no problem. And uh, she hadn't read it, right? And she says, oh, no, 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 you know, I'd, I'd love to help you out. And it took her a couple of weeks. I said, you can't say yes. I won't accept your yes until you read it, because I wanted her to feel comfortable with the material, because it's an odd project, right? It's an odd project. And um, she loved it. She was so moved by it that she became so involved. She was the spokesperson for the project for Indiegogo. She came on as executive producer. She was able to attract so much talent, you know, and um, uh, yeah, she's just been such a, a friend to the message that we're trying to get out there. And for her, she felt it was personal in a few directions, but also she talks about how, you know, her nieces are mixed race and how she wanted to see, well, she wanted them to be able to see more of themselves out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, honestly, it really is, um, even though it's such a tiny film, right, um, having stars attached completely helped. Having the profile that we were able to get with Indiegogo because of her, and a few came on as co-producers. Telefilm did give me their money. Um, Mongol Media came on. That's when having a theatrical release, right? That um, this is not a small fit. It's, it was impossible. I went knocking on these doors for years and years and years, and it really, when Sandra said yes, um, that's when it all happened, because she gave me extra visibility and credibility. Now, it's interesting that um, it's, it's from me as uh, so amazing the fact that her voice can sound so youthful. Was was there any was was this hair or was a post production work? Oh no no that's funny you should say that because of course her voice is quite husky compared to mine right and so she was basically doing me right she was basically doing me and I'm quite a bit older than Sandra right and um, but in terms of and that's not quite accurate, right? Because she also spent weeks with Rosie Maine. She spent weeks working on that character, how she would feel and how she would sound. And uh, she uh, approached her exactly like she would, uh, you know, a live action character. And um, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's just an under it's just an understanding, like it's an understanding of the writing. And I have to say, as a writer. Um, it was amazing for me. It was the you know I do live action too, and for me mm -hmm. this was the best experience because people just read my words, right? There and it was just all about the word. They weren't worried about camera or you know takes or positions or clothing. Or they were just they were just working with the text, and um, and I got to work with you know actors who were just at the top of their game, right? And uh, and um, it was, uh, yeah, that was like, that was the, the greatest honor for me. Now, were you at any point concerned that, because often when you see a film that incorporates poetry to it, it sort of stops the dead on its, on its tracks. Yeah. However, and I'm not even sure how do you manage this, it flows. Mm -hmm. How, and excuse how broad the question is, but how do you manage the two? Well, that's interesting, because you know, my boyfriend, was telling me all the way through, you know, um, I needed less haiku, more kung fu. <laughs> 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 and then when I finished, 
He said, I have put the Kung Fu in haiku. And that was never an issue for me. Like, um, you know, well, you know, I'll try and describe that. The, there's a lot of poems and there's a lot of history, right? There's, there's a lot of education in this film, mm -hmm. right? And they're all being um, represented by different artists in different styles. And that was always supposed to be like that because it's Rosie's point of view. It starts off very simple and as her world expands, um, she's able to see things from many, many, many different points of view. And so it's really a film about creativity and the imagination. Um, and I have often, not like this necessarily, but I have often worked in a collage form where I work with different styles. Um, if I'm making it all by myself yeah. or if I'm working with different artists. So um, I knew the artists that I was working with and I just knew that my job would be to integrate it and that I could do that, right? Um, and it just took talking to animators, because animators are just really like very slow actors, mm -hmm. right? Because it is the voice and the movement that makes those characters come alive, yeah. right? So I talked to them just like I would talk with actors, right? Talking about the character, talking about the scene, you know, what we wanted out of it. Um, the, uh, the different artists had quite a lot of leeway with how they wanted to interpret it, right? We had a storyboard that they could or could not adhere to. I wasn't that worried. Um, uh, I just knew that if everybody had the, the right sensibility of what they were working on, I wanted them to bring mm -hmm. things together. And like, I mean, it's like one of the themes of the film, really, right? That we can have all of these different things together and they can all be saying, they can all be moving towards saying the same thing, right? right? That they, they fit. They don't clash, they fit. Now, uh, I find the casting of Tom McKellar as a... Uh, German poet, a uh, stroke of genius. So I, I imagine Sandra brought him in. Or do you, do you appeal to him directly? Well, it's not, it wasn't genius, it was fluke, oh, right? As right. things are. So um, Sandra is friends with Don, and I had a very specific uh, voice for all the characters in my head. And I had been going crazy trying to find uh, the German voice. And we came out to Toronto because Shore Agdashlu was here. She was shooting a series. Who also has an amazing voice. Oh, she has been in my voice since the beginning. She's been in my voice, in my head for years, right? I wanted her. And, um, but Dawn <laughs> was, not, was not who I was thinking of for Dietmar, obviously. I don't think anybody thinks. Right? But, um, but when we came, because uh, we never just did single person in a box recording we recorded everything as scene work right mm -hmm. with all the actors and so uh, Sandra asked Don if he would come and just read just be the male voice and um, uh, he started putting on this accent and Sandra and I just looked at each other and went <laughs> he's perfect he's perfect for this and it turned out that he'd just been at a film festival in Shanghai and he'd been hanging out with this young German filmmaker and he was just channeling him right like he completely got this character and so we asked him you know would you do it and he was first like <laughs> he you know he felt um, a little intimidated by you know being the German guy but uh, but Obviously, he did it, and uh, and he's great. He works famously. He's great, yeah. Now, was it uh, in the case of Shorea Gadashalo, you have the additional 
kingdoms, if you will, yes. that she's actually from Iran. Yeah. So how, how did she, how, how receptive was she to the material? Oh, well, you know, the actors came to the project because Sandra approached them, like the, you know, sort of the Amer American actors. Right. Um, and then they loved the material. And I have to tell you that the Iranian actors um, who I worked with were shocked, surprised, and delighted by the fact that an outsider would want to do something about their culture mm -hmm. that was so sensitive to things that they loved and also was so caring about details, you know? Um, yeah, they, um, they, were, they were wonderful to me. Now, how is the film facing distribution? Do you have any hope that it will be seen anywhere? Well, Payman Mahdi, who's in it as well, you know, he's the father in the separation. Right. He wanted to be part of this project and he wanted to distribute it in Iran. And he came on board after, you know, after I um, edited all the voices together, right? And so I actually created a role especially for him. And he also sings in the credits. Mm -hmm. he, he sings the Masnavi, Rumi's Masnavi, which is the central, it really is like the central. <laughs> no, I say the central. There's so many themes. It's one of the central themes about how we are always longing to go back to our roots. Oh, right? if you allow me to interrupt here, uh, between the ending and that song is emotional punch right there. Because I was actually, the, the, the ending already had me in tears, if you will. And then the song, oh God, that was, the, the combination of both things are yeah. very emotionally powerful. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, he wanted to write that for the credits. It was mm -hmm. just like, um, uh, oh, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah, so Payman right. said they would love this in Iran. And I said, really, are you sure? Like, I wrote it so that it could play in Iran. I wanted it to play for human beings everywhere, like small children, adults, non-Iranians, Iranians from the diaspora, who I know would love it. But I wanted it to be even you know, would the government be able to accept this, mm -hmm. right? Because there's a lot of things I say that, that um, happened historically, right? But they are just presented, they're not judged, they're mm -hmm. presented, and it's talking about how people deal with these kinds of things, like how it impacts people's lives, right? Um, so I was hoping, I thought, well, okay, uh, that would be great if that happened. And so that sort of changed from they will love it to there's a few things we have to work out. To this might be difficult. But to maybe this isn't the best time. <laughs> so, but you know, I'm sure people in Iran will see it mm -hmm. because things just, you know, that's the way it goes. But um, I would love it to be invited, um, you know, to a festival maybe. Uh, I don't know if it can happen. Believe it or not, one of the um, one of the hurdles is Shore Agdashlu, who is one of the most is one of the most well-known, you know, Iranian actresses and such an amazing spokesperson for culture and poetry. But uh, she's um, not in favor with the government. Mm -hmm. So if it was played there, they would probably have to dub her for sure. But, um, you know, there you go. And that's also a minor theme in the film, right, is that artists through time, like poets through time, are in and out of favor, right? In and out of favor. So just because it's no now doesn't mean it will always be no. Mm -hmm. Now everything went according to plan. It seems 
for what you're telling me that it, I normally actually went better than originally planned. But was there anything that uh, ended up having to stay behind? Any element? Oh, sure. There's tons of stuff. And it's politics that kept things out, mm -hmm. um, mainly. Uh, I just went on a search. It was my own journey and my own imagination, you know, when I wrote this script. And I, I just... Uh, I picked up everything that I found interesting and I threw it in there. Like, everything's in there, mm -hmm. right? And uh, um, the, I had a lot of Iranians um, collaborate with me, right, as consultants after I'd written the script for poetry, for music, for animation, for, you know, visual styles, for details, for historical accuracy, and for a few things, musical things that I found just beautiful and lovely that actually um, were kind of political touchstones right now that I had to take out that were it's completely surprising to me because that you know I took out anything that pointed to itself in a direction that I didn't want it to go right that took away from this this you know message that I was trying to get through I didn't want to have a conversation that would sideline it that was completely just, you know, just a beautiful, just a beautiful side route, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, I had some, uh, things didn't, nothing went according to plan, but everything once it started went like wildfire. It was very fast. Mm -hmm. um, there were only about 20 animators. The animation was probably done in nine months itself. Um, a very, very low budget. The film took a year and a half to make total from the time we you know, started with the Indiegogo. Two years before it started Festival Life. It was pretty fast for an animated film. It looks really good though. Like, I mean, yeah. budget regardless, it, it yeah. looks well, great. Well, I always knew it was going to be low budget. So I designed, that's how I designed it, right? We tried to think of how do we make this film? And um, also, I'm working with artists, right? Um, uh, so, um, so we're we're used to um, not we're we're used to working within constraints, mm -hmm. right? And making something creative out of that. So, um, so yeah, I think. Well, thanks for saying so. I think it looks beautiful, yeah. right? But it's very simple. Right, and it is actually 2D, right? Which uh, a lot of people don't do anymore because it, it's expensive. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, it's done in After Effects, which most people would not animate a long form in, right? But we did that because the head animator, uh, Kevin Langdale, he likes After Effects. That's mm -hmm. what he's good at. So, um, so that's what we did. Um, I would never, ever, ever make a film like this this way again. But uh, it was like something that just grew, right? So we just went with it. Whatever was there, just said yes, and let's just go forward. Mm -hmm. And you think you say that you will never do a film like this anymore because of how time, how much of your time it has consumed? Oh my God, it killed me. It really killed me to make this film. Um, I always say never. I think maybe everybody's just really tired after they spend, you know, years of their life. <laughs> and, you're, and you're still promoting it. Yeah, and I'm still promoting it. So, of course, I would like more support. I would like more planning. I would like more money. Everything always has its problems. I mean, I did have an enormous amount of autonomy making it like this. Mm -hmm. Um, I was only constrained by, yeah, money. Mm -hmm. 
So you're ready to let go? How much longer do you think you're gonna have to, you're gonna live with with the horses as a day to day? Day to day. I hope by the summer. I know I've got some things planned into the autumn, but it's gonna trickle down. For me, it was just so important. I mean, like talking to people like yourself, mm -hmm. or just I just want people to see this film, and so I want to support the film. I want to go everywhere, right? Like, uh, and I realize at some point, I just gotta let it live on its own, you know, it'll mm -hmm. live on its own. But um, the whole thing about the film, about the poetry festivals, obviously the poetry festival is like my experience traveling internationally with film festivals, is that here you have people all, from all over the world all showing their different points of view. And we have these discussions between people talking about what it is what it is that we love, what it is that we don't, what, what it is to be human, right, in a respectful environment. And um, we so rarely get the opportunity to do that outside of a festival environment as an adult, right, mm -hmm. like after you leave school, university, whatever, and how essential it is that we, we have these discussions. And they're right there on the page, you know, poets have been having these discussions with us for thousands of years, since as, you know, as long as there's been people. Mm -hmm. and. Um, so, so that's what I'm pushing. <laughs> that's what I'm pushing. Uh, but at some point, I, you know, I, I guess I need to put it down. All right. Yeah. And do you have any specific uh, plan next? You know, you know yet, or everything is still in project phase? Oh my God. Uh, yeah, for years and years, because it means so much to me. Again, this is a project that's taking me forever. Um, I made a film many years ago called The Magical Life of Long Tack Sam. Mm -hmm. It's a documentary on my great-grandfather. Do you know it? I've seen a piece of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he was a traveling Chinese pavilion acrobat and magician. So it was a search to find his life, his story, seen through the prism of the geopolitics of the 20th century. And um, he married my great-grandmother in 1908 in a small town of Austria. So, their mixed raciness, you know, which comes down to me, obviously, has, uh, and their incredible life and the hurdles that they always overcame um, uh, is what I'm tackling in a film called Shanghai Follies, mm -hmm. um, which takes place in um, sort of the end of vaudeville, uh, the middle of the Depression, um, early days, early, early days of, of um, of what is going to be the Second World War. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a time I think that is not unlike where we are here. And you know, I started writing this back in 2004, and uh, I'm still I'm still working on it. It's it's still relevant. At, at some point, I thought it's more relevant now than ever. At, well, there's some years where I thought it wasn't relevant anymore. Where I thought miscegenation is not an issue. Where um, you know visa, you know, like uh, where race is no longer an issue. Mm -hmm. um, where border crossing is no longer an issue. And we're back, right? So I I think because our time makes it so much more relevant, I feel I feel a need to get to this now. Our thanks to Anne Marie Fleming. Window Horses, the poetic Persian epiphany of Rosie Ming, is now playing at the Thief Bell Lightbox in Toronto and will roll out across Canada in upcoming weeks. I can't recommend it enough. Remember, you can reach us on Twitter at The Can Crew, on Facebook at The Canadian Crew page, or write us at The Canadian Crew email, all one word, on Gmail. Also, you can help us keep The Canadian Crew ad-free by contributing at gofundme.com slash The Canadian Crew. I'm Jorge Castillo, until next time.